Would you uh, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? We've uh, been really focusing lately on, in the opening of our messages, Bible studies, Friday night studies, Sunday morning services, the depth of our sin. There's a reason why we look at the word, the letter T, in speaking about the points of Calvinism, the five points of Calvinism total depravity. It's in, that's that's the, the right order. And the reason for that is because how are you going to see the depth? How are you going to get a picture in your mind of how great God loves you if you don't understand first how deep you are in depravity? How deep you are in sin? What is how deep is that original sin. It's deeper than any of us can see with our eyes. The Lord tells us in His Word, He says, the heart is desperately wicked. If you don't know that your heart is desperately wicked, you don't know the love of God for you. Because that's the first thing He does, is He shows you your need of Him. Is that not true? And we've spent much time considering those things and I was asked here recently, John, why is it you've always got a point so strong about our sin? And I said, because that's, that's the start of salvation. And we never finish with that. We never spend all of our time on that because what that does is it points us to the one who saved us. Is that not correct? Isn't that what our troubles and our trials are for? To remind us the weakness that we have in this flesh? So this morning I want to bring a short message from Ephesians 6 that gives us encouragement to, to look to our Lord. You know, he says, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. That means lay down your weapons and look to the one who has fought the battle for you. But you've got to look at the weapons that he uses, the weapons that he gives us. Fight the good fight. Paul tells Timothy. Fight the good fight. That's such a strange way to look at it, isn't it? Fight the good fight. That means we got to keep doing something. Well, what is it we got to keep doing? Resting. The most unnatural thing for us is to sit down and do nothing. To sit down and trust in Him. To sit down and rest in what He's done for us. And everything that we're going to look at today points to that very thing that God has accomplished in His Son, the Lord Jesus, what we need to fight the good fight. Here in Paul's letter to the saints at Ephesus, chapter 6, the Spirit of God inspired Paul to give an answer to our question of what can I do? What must I do, Lord? If, if there's nothing I can do, if there's nothing me to do. If all I can do is rest, well, how, how do I do that? How do I rest in the Lord? Paul answers that question here in Ephesians chapter 6. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Did you catch that? If we're going to rest in the Lord, then we've got to We've got to put all of our strength in Him. We've got to sit down. We need to relax and let the Lord take care of it. 
bring it to the feet of Jesus, as the Gadarean was found doing in his right mind. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. Put it at his feet. His power. His might. This begins the conclusion of Paul's exhortation on the duties of believers to others. He addresses them all and he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. The things which are commanded are impossible to perform without God's strength and God's grace. I can't do anything. You know, that's, that's, that's my biggest problem is I can't do anything. There's absolutely nothing I can do. You know, the Lord takes us and he drains us of all of our personal strength. That's what our trials do. They show us. They show us that there's nothing we can do. We must rest in Him. Everything our Lord has commanded, did you know He has provided in His Son, the Lord Jesus? Everything. All that He commands you and I to do, Christ has done it for us. We need His strength and His power to overcome our enemies, our flesh, Satan. We need His strength to adorn and dress ourselves with the doctrine of Christ with holiness and integrity. Yet though we are weak and can do nothing of ourselves, His grace is sufficient for us. Isn't that what He tells us? He is our sufficiency. I mentioned that just recently. I was struggling with a, a great deal with my position as a, as a man, as a preacher. And it's because I was looking at the flesh. I took my eyes off of my strength. I took my eyes off of my sufficiency. It's not me. It's Him. And he, is, he has just amazed me. Amazed me that when I would walk out that door after services thinking, Oh, Lord, what did I do? Why am I up in this pulpit saying anything? And people would buy, walk by and say, Praise the Lord, He blessed me with it. I'm, you know that was God and God alone who did it. And that's what He had to show me. He is our sufficiency. Not just the preacher's, but yours as well. Do you not battle with the sin that is in your flesh? Do you not battle with the thoughts that go through your mind? If you don't, God help you to do so. Because we all have those battles. We all have those temptations. The believer lives in a world of evil. We're surrounded by evil powers and evil people. This world is not the friend of grace, nor the friend of God. Not only is sin around us, but sin is within us. Let me ask you your prayers. Are yours like mine? Lord, help me. Oh, how I wish I prayed more for those around me. Oh, how I wish I didn't have to pray for myself over and over again. But folks, our Lord tells us in His Word, coming to the author and the finisher of our faith. That means coming all the time. That doesn't mean we just come once and it's done with. We come all the time. Over and over and over again. Our biggest, our biggest enemy is the sin that is within it. The life of a Christian is a race to be ran, as we read in Hebrews 12.1. It's a battle to be fought, as we read in 1 Timothy 6.12. There's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit as we read in uh, Paul. Paul describing how he what he would what he would do he does not. 
what he wouldn't do, he does. The battle. The battle between our flesh and our spirit. We need help. We need strength to stand up against all of the deceit, all of the strategies of Satan, who's a great enemy of Christ and his people. Look at verse 11 with me, if you would. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God has provided you and I armor. Armor for this battle. Armor is something that we can put on our Lord and Savior. We can put on for His people. He gives us the weapons to be used against Satan, against sin, and against error. Look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against blood, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of, the wor of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our battle. I, I don't have a battle with the guy in that big building downtown Sacramento. I don't have a battle with the, the White House in Washington. I don't have a battle with the officer who's driving his car around outside right now. I don't have a battle with any of those folks. My battle is the evil, the wickedness that we live in, this valley of the shadow of death that we walk through daily. That's our battle, the wickedness within. We're not contending against physical opponents, frail mortal men or and are not, are not our real enemies. Our battle is against the wicked spirits who inhabit the supernatural sphere and who deal in lies. The wickedness that deals in pride, self-pride, idolatry, covetousness, lust of the flesh, deceit, or even worse, self-righteousness. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Take upon yourselves the complete armor of God, that, his, that God has provided for you, that you may be able to resist those evils that are within and without. Stand firmly in the Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. The battle is not against flesh, Therefore, the armor and the weapons which God provides are not carnal, but spiritual. Turn over, mark your spot there in Ephesians and turn to the left. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. 2 Corinthians 10. talking about the difference between spiritual and carnal. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Did you catch that? Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. And pulling down of the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity 
Folks, turning away from evil and seeking after the Lord Jesus, looking to Him, coming to Him, the author and the finisher of our faith, that's a work. It doesn't save us, but if you're saved, God will bring you to that point. Looking to Him. And then we see these next five verses give us the parts of this armor. Go back to your text, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 6 and follow along. The first thing the Lord brings out to us there in verse 14 is, Gird your loins, your loins gird about with truth. The first piece of our armor. Stand therefore having your loins gird. That means girded, it means wrapped around tightly around the, 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 the uh, organs of your, of your body, your, your, your liver and your, your, all of the parts right here in your stomach that your body is so nece necessarily needing. The girdle covers that. And occasionally a tree falls on the building. <laughs> Sounds like it rolled off though, so that means it didn't stick. <laughs> so you want to get, you want to cover yourself, wrap yourself in the in the girdle. Stand therefore, having your loins girded, girt about with truth. Here's our first piece of armor: truth. Wrap it about you as a strong girdle. The gospel of God's redemptive glory in and through Christ Jesus can be wrapped about us as the gospel. Look over, hold your place there, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, right there uh, between James and John's uh, three epistles. In John in 1 Peter chapter 1, not 2nd, but 1st, right? Look at verse 13 with me. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you see that? For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation, at the revealing of Jesus Christ, at the revealing of who He is, at the revealing of what He's done for us. This is the first part of our armor mentioned, for it is the most important, and it's the foundation of all the rest. The truth about God, it's the truth about who He is. It's the truth about what He's done. It's the truth about where He is right this moment. It's about God and my race to Christ and His redemptive work. It keeps me close to God and it defends me against all the evil suggestions of Satan which lead to a false hope. All of those suggestions that God loves everybody. Well, look at this Christian church over here. They may preach that you have to do something like that, but they can't be wrong, could they? Folks, that's the words of the devil. That's the words of the devil. They could be wrong. In fact, they are wrong if they're preaching works of men and not the grace of God. I've been 
hammered lately because I spend a little time doing that, pointing out, pointing out that this church over here is wrong. I don't actually say the church across the street is wrong, although it is. You're not saved by worshiping a, a God on Saturday. You're saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is our Sabbath. You worship Saturday as a Sabbath of rest, then you worship the wrong thing. You worship the wrong Jesus. And there is another Jesus, as Scripture tells us. We must stand on the truth. And every bit of what God has given us right here in this book is the truth. I can tell you this. There is... less than three sentences in this entire book that I could probably say I know thoroughly. Less than three sentences, but I believe the whole thing. I may not understand this. I may be confused about much of what we read in this book, but I believe it. I believe it is God's Word. If you don't, then we have nothing to discuss, do we? The truth. Secondly, we see the breastplate of righteousness. It says there again in verse 14, and, and having on, on the breastplate of righteousness, this breastplate of integrity, right standing before God and holiness, it cannot be the works of righteousness of mortal men. It cannot be produced by me, for Satan could easily find a defect in it and break it in half, tear it off of me. He could destroy me with whatever he would find me. So this, this righteousness is talking about must be something else. It is. It's talking about the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin was made sin, that you and I would be made the righteousness of God in him. Not in us. Not in what we do. But in what our Savior has done. His perfect righteousness is imputed to His people and we receive it by faith. And Satan can bring no charge against it. As we read over in Romans 8, verses 33 through 34. Let me read that for you quickly here. Some of you know it by heart. I have found recently that even my own memory can't hold things uh, uh, without look into the Lord's word to quote it properly who shall lay anything it says in verse 33 to the charge of God's elect it is God that justifies you see this how this breastplate is working it's not in us it is God that justifies verse 34 who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us Folks, the perfect blood of Christ was shed and God accepted it. It satisfied fully. That's how he can save us to the uttermost. That word uttermost, that's wiped clean. That's wiped so clean that we're as white as snow in the eyes of God. Why? Because Christ's blood paid the price, washed us clean. I was looking the other day in some scripture and it was talking about being baptized in the Jordan. And one of the commentators brought out 
You know this Jordan River is one of the dirtiest rivers in the Medes? It is nothing but mud. I, I, I looked it up on the internet. And you can find a small section where they go to get baptized way up in the hills outside of Jerusalem. Way up in the hills where the Jordan starts at. And, it, and it's only for about 200 yards. And after that 200 yards, it's muddy from there all the way to the sea. It is the dirtiest river in the entire Mideast. Yet our Lord said to, to uh, yeah, I forgot who he said it to, he said, go wash in the Jordan. The prophet said to the, go wash in the Jordan, in the dirtiest river there is. Our sins are washed clean by the blood of Christ that was made dirty with our sins. Thirdly, it says, your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, several things can be taught of here. A firm-footed stability on the foundation of the gospel of peace. A godly walk that is agreeable to the gospel of peace. A readiness to go forth into the highways and the hedges declaring the good news of peace through Christ. And then next we see, take the shield of faith. Scriptures tell us that Satan hurls darts of doubt and fear and depression and weariness and all manner of questions regarding our spiritual state. We can only be shielded against these fiery darts by the faith that we have in God's Word. Look over at Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. We read this, speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Our shield of faith is the faith that we have that God is able. He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Is that not something we can have trust in? Is that not something we can believe with our hearts? He says, I shall never leave you nor forsake you. He says, my sheep hear my voice. What words of promise God has given to his people that we can stand on, that we can stand on as a solid rock because they are promises made in his son, the Lord Jesus. Next, back in our text again, we see says, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet is a piece of armor for our head and it protects our head against false doctrine. I've had plenty of folks come to me, and I don't, I don't recommend you go to a false church just to hear what they're saying. I'm not recommending that you go down here to the Catholic church and hear what they're saying. But if you find yourself doing so, I'm not concerned that you're going to be led away if you're one of God's people. God's not going to let Satan take you away from him. What does Paul say over there in, in, in Romans? Let's go and look at that. Romans chapter 8. What does Paul say there towards the end of that chapter? He says this. He says, for I am persuaded. That means convinced. He's convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's convinced how? By the revelation of God. Who His Son is. What He's done. The power of God through His Son, the Lord Jesus. He's convinced. He's persuaded that nothing, including false doctrine, can pull you away from Him. 
Now, can you be lured? Oh, I have no doubt that if you start listening to those things, you may have much error in your life. I know those who have been walked with God right here in this own building for many years and now are lured away by a man who, well, let's just say it's not what he says, it's what he doesn't say. I can trust this this one that I speak of, if they belong to God, they will not be lost to that man. How do you know, John? Because God's word says so. That's how. The helmet of salvation. Next we see in our text the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's compared to a sword that has two edges, the law and the gospel. Listen to the words of Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, piercing even into the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word is all edge. There are no blunt sides to it. One cannot come near the word of God without it having some effect on it, on you. It either convicts of sin and cut away the, the righteousness of men or it kills pride, envy, and lust, and all sin. It reaches the hidden and secret parts of all man. It is the weapon that God uses to defeat all of his enemies. Look over at Luke chapter 4. No better example could we than himself, the Lord Jesus, where he is tempted in the wilderness here in Luke chapter 4, we're beginning at verse 3. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones that it be made bread. Now listen to what the answer of Christ is. And the Lord Jesus said unto him, saying, It is written. Jesus loves everybody. Isn't that what the world would like you to believe? That's not what it says in here. And here it says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Read on, verse 5. And the devil taking him up into the high mountain showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If therefore thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written. Look one more time, if you would, down below that, uh, going on from uh, verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle in the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest... At any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said. That's the same thing. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So we see here the sword of the Spirit is the word of God as we yeah, read back in our text in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll bring this to a close. Our last one that it talks about there is praying. Our last weapon is prayer. And it includes all sorts of prayers, mental prayer, vocal prayer, private and public. We should live in an attitude and a state of prayer continually. Our prayers must be 
and will be in the Spirit by the resistance of the Spirit of God with a sincere heart from all believers. We will persevere in prayer regardless of the suggestions that Satan makes to our hearts, to our minds. It's talking about praying for your ministers, for your pastors. Pray that God will not only open the effectual doors for us, but give us the unction to preach. That will give us bold boldness and wisdom to preach the gospel of Christ. I've had some folks who I love dearly leave this church because I don't preach enough. I don't preach any more than Christ and Him crucified every time I stand here. That's all I know, folks. That's what I know that God has done for me. What He's done in His Son. And where He is right now. Pray for our lovers. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I pray that your health needs are met. But even more important than that, that your spiritual needs are met. Our health is but of this flesh, which will eventually return to the dust anyway. Your spirit means more to me than that. I hope the Lord blessed you with that lesson this morning.